morning. I love baptisms, baptisms, weddings, and baby dedications. That's what pastors live for. <laughs> Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father, we thank you for your grace that we can, uh, we can approach you through all these different means, through worship. We approach you in baptism. We approach you through your word, approach you in prayer. Uh, Lord, we ask that you would be present uh, in a very tangible way. Father, help me communicate what you put on my heart uh, and help edify and build up each and every person here in Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, we've been talking, this is the last of a series on Thanksgiving, talked about gratitude and generosity and how they really work together. Uh, you know, a thankful heart, being thankful, and also giving, being uh, uh, generous and, and, and giving. And we talked about uh, what the Bible teaches on, on giving to the church and, and just really skimming the surface. There's so much more. But uh, I wanted to finish it off uh, this uh, Sunday uh, with a little bit more from, from God's Word. And uh, gratitude positions us to receive. When you have a thankful heart, it really positions you as a, to receive from God and from others. And generosity, when you, when you give, when you're a generous person, when you give faithfully, it actually produces gratitude. It produces gratitude in people you give to, but it also produces a sense of gratitude in yourself. So, you know, there's an act that, uh, you know, an act of obedience produces a heartfelt condition. And the goal of our, and for me as a pastor and as a church, is, is we want 100% participation, 100% koinonia. Uh, koinonia is a Greek word. We've touched on this every week, and I really want to help people uh, remember the meaning of koinonia. Often it's just translated in, in the New Testament as fellowship, but it's really a, a word that kind of sums up the life that God wants to and God intends uh, the local church to experience, the fullness of, of what it means to be part of a faith community. <clears throat> and there's three aspects of the word koinonia. The first is participation, that you actually participate, that you're not just an observer, you know, you're not just a spectator, but you're a participant. Um, and, and that everyone, we want to see 100% participation. The second a aspect of it is intimacy, and that there's actual relationship. And I tell people that church just provides an opportunity. You know, all of our services and our events, just, we just create opportunities for people to make relationships. We can't actually make relationships, no matter what we do. We can't make a relationship. But we can provide the context, both meetings, life groups, the party last night. How many had a great time at the party? Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> you know, stuff like that. And, and in that, you, be, you open up your heart and become intimate. Uh, in fellowship and friendship, and in contribution, which literally means a collection. And so we, we have to just get rid of any, any negative feeling or impression that talking about money or, or, or the issue of money in church is somehow not spiritual. Uh, I could talk for an hour about how the, the roots of that, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, philosophical roots about how, how money uh, is somehow not a spiritual issue. It's a very spiritual issue, and it's, and it's tied into the life of being part of the church because it's actually part of the meaning of the word fellowship or koinonia that you contribute, and it literally means a collection. And, it, and the definition in the, in the dictionary, uh, the Greek dictionary, is that it exhibits an embodiment or proof of fellowship. That, that gift, that contribution is really the proof of fellowship. <clears throat> and so um, all of these sayings constitute the, the ongoing life of a local con congregation. 
You know, it's, it's, it's what the life of a, of a local church, a community of faith, uh, or a family church, these are the things that it's made up of. All right, well, it's Christmas time, so we're going to read from a Christmas uh, uh, passage uh, from Matthew 2, verse 1 through 11. We'll read through it and just talk about it a little bit. Uh, this is from the New King James. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly, secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced and were exceeding, with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All right, Jesus came not only as king of the Jews, right? He was king of the Jews, but he is king of kings, Lord of lords. He came to rule, he came to reign over all of the earth and have a kingdom comprised of every tongue and every tribe and every nation. We read about that in, in Revelation. That's what, that's what the, the resurrection in heaven looks like, is people from every, every nation. So it's fitting that the very first people recorded in the Bible coming to acknowledging Jesus as the king and worshiping him were actually Gentiles. That has always struck me as, as a very powerful uh, illustration and fulfillment of who Jesus was. So the first people we have recorded, this is the first incident in Scripture where Jesus Christ in his incarnation is, is worshipped. So we're just going to look for a moment at what that worship looked like. There's three points. It says they fell down, <clears throat> or they bowed immediately to the ground uh, when they saw the child. And, um, and in one sense, this, this is part of that culture, uh, but I believe it's, it's part of biblical culture because uh, all throughout uh, the Bible, uh, worship involved prostrating yourself or bowing down. And so immediately upon the presence, encountering the person of Jesus Christ, and here he was, just a, just a, a child, uh, they fell to, probably dropped to their knees. And so there was a bodily expression of uh, worship, bodily action. There was active participation, right? When they fell to the ground, was their body involved? Absolutely. So they demonstrated that with their body. It says, and then it says, and they worshipped him. It's kind of interesting because that, that word worship means prostrate, uh, in homage, to do reverence or to adore. So actually what the scripture says is that they fell and then they fell. There's two different words. They fell to the ground and then prostrated themselves. 
So which probably means they, they fell to their knees, which I do slowly now, <laughs> and, then, and then prostrated themselves to the ground. Okay. Which, of course, <clears throat> if, you're, if you're familiar with world religions, um, the Muslims teach that that's the, the only right way to pray, and they do it five times a day. But uh, uh, early Christians uh, uh, prayed that way, too, and some, some Eastern, uh, Middle Eastern sects of Christianity still uh, pray in that similar way, bowing to the knees and bowing to the ground. It's an act of worship. Um, uh, worship throughout Scripture involves your whole body. It's not merely, and the real essence of that is that worship is not just a state of mind. And since, since the, the, the Reformation, or really the Renaissance, uh, people have kind of moved worship into just some mental state. Uh, and we have to understand that biblical worship, yes, it involves our mind, of course, but it involves our body and our spirit. You know, and all three uh, in unity, becoming one in adoration uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's not merely a state of mind, and it's not merely agreeing to right doctrine. Do you think that these wise men had right doctrine? Not likely. <laughs> they only knew a little bit. Uh, they knew that there were some prophecies from the Jewish scriptures that they, they, they reverenced. Uh, and they, they saw the star and they came to worship. Uh, but what they had right is they knew how and they knew mostly what's important. They knew who. They knew how and they knew who to worship. And that's what they did. So it's a heart action. There's bodily action in, in worship, but there's also heart action. And that's the reverencing. That's the adoring, the adoration. Um, that's the, the intimacy. You know, the first part, again, it just ties with koinonia. There's participation, but there's also intimacy. Something in their heart recognizes the person of Jesus Christ and express that through uh, adoration and through reverence. And then what did they do? They opened their treasures. They came prepared, didn't they? They knew who they were coming to meet. He was something unique, something special. And so they brought something. They came prepared for that encounter. It says they opened their treasures and presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Worship included giving things of value. And so there's material action. There's, a, there's objective demonstration uh, and, and a contribution, all right? It's not something you just do with your body or your mind. There was another aspect. So this first uh, example of New Testament worship of the Lord Jesus Christ included all three of these. And I'm telling you that that's a template. That's a picture for all believers in the New Testament that our worship should look like that, all right? And, and I love the tradition of Christmas, and some people get uptight about it. I actually think it's a great idea of giving gifts at Christmas. Uh, yeah, my kids call me Santa. <laughs> uh, and of course, it can, be, uh, it can be abused, and it can distract from the true meaning, and it can be caught up with materialism. And yes, everything good can be abused. 
But let's look at the good of it that, that, that tied in to the story of the incarnation is this practice of giving gifts. You know, and why do we do that? Well, because the wise men came and gave gifts. Because Christ himself is that indescribable gift given by the Father to all mankind. You know, and so the Christmas time just generates a desire to want to give. And that's because it is uh, in response to the meaning, that what is the true meaning of Christmas, that Jesus Christ came as the gift of salvation for all mankind. And so if, if, if worship includes these three different acts, I, I want to ask you, how do you express worship in all three ways? How do you bodily express? As Americans, this is kind of, kind of uh, awkward <laughs> for us. Because uh, so much of our culture, especially when it, when it comes to religious activities, we think that anything done with our bodies is, is somehow not spiritual. Now, if you're a football fan and you go to a rousing game, it's okay to get excited bodily and jump and shout, right? Huh? So what do women get excited about? Sales. She said sales. If there's a good sale at the store, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but our, our culture, well, listen, are we going to be Christians based on our American culture or are we going to change our culture? We're going to live Christ or we're going to live biblically and express uh, what's in our heart in the way the Bible teaches us. And so find ways to express worship physically. Lift your hands in worship. Uh, bow down. Uh, uh, dance, you know, if it's appropriate. Uh, there are many, many ways. Singing. <clears throat> um, uh, all of these things are ways that we can a- activate our bodies in worship to the Lord Jesus Christ. Adoration and reverence. How do you express adoration and reverence to the Lord Jesus Christ? That has to be in the heart. We have to learn how to express that as well and live a life that demonstrates a reverence that you consider holy and pure and that you adore, that you really, everything in your life, your heart is motivated by adoration of Jesus Christ. And the third part is uh, material action, and that's contribution. And that's equal to the other two. Now, how do you express that material contribution? How do you worship Christ and follow the example that we see in the wise men? You know, there's an Old Testament uh, um, tradition that was started uh, thousands and thousands of years before Christ even. We read about it in Deuteronomy 16, uh, verse 16 through 17. Let's just read it. It says, Three times a year all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which He chooses. This is before they even made it to the promised land, before uh, the temple was built. They were still worshiping with the tabernacle. But uh, it was uh, 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 basically laying the foundation of the Jewish culture and the practices that they would follow for thousands of years. It says, um, So three times they shall appear before the Lord, your God, in the place He chooses, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. For every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which He has given you. So from the beginning, worship included offerings. Even in, in, in Genesis, what Cain and Abel, what did they do? They both brought what? Sacrifices. They brought offerings. 
And we don't know if they were told to do that, or if that was just an initial response out of their, their, their interaction with God. And, 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 and then the story unfolds from there. But throughout Scripture, uh, giving to God is an essential aspect of worship. Right? It's not just an obligation. We don't do it just to receive, although there are promises that God will open up heaven when we are faithful in giving. We do it because it's an act of worship. And worship, the, the English word worship is based on the, on the root word worth. All right, and it actually means uh, that we're expressing the worthiness. It demonstrates the worthiness of of God, uh, the, the, how worthy we we believe that He is. We we can't separate uh, the heart uh, condition and heart value with demonstrating it with material value. And it says, "They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed." So this defines worship as a two-way interaction between God and man. There's a giving and a receiving. When they came to worship and celebration, they came to give, but they also came to receive from God. And God receives the offering, God receives the worship, and God gives blessing, and He gives His presence, He gives His favor. Man receives God's blessing, God's presence, as well as presence, <laughs> and in return, out of adoration, give offerings and adoration. And every man uh, shall give it as he is able, according to the blessing of God, which I've talked about over the last couple of weeks, that there's proportionate giving. God, God commands us to give a proportion of what we earn. And throughout Scripture, it's 10% as a tithe. There's many other types of offering. I don't have time to go into all the details. But we give a proportionate, and God promises to return exponentially. All right, Proportionate giving with exponential return. And that's uh, the, uh, the intention of God. That's the, that's the, the way God designed uh, it to work. <clears throat> um, I'm actually surprised. I'm ahead of myself in my notes. There's probably a reason, yeah. I'll keep going. I was ready to stop there. We'll go a little more. Second Samuel 24, verse 24 and 5. This is um, uh, a, uh, a little excerpt from uh, a story concerning David. I'll read it and then I'll expand. It says, The king, David, said to Aruna, <coughs> uh, well, this is what happened. There was, a, there was a plague happening, and David wanted to offer a sacrifice, and he actually saw an angel, um, and he, needed, he realized he needed to make a sacrifice in order to stop the plague. And so he went to the place where the angel was, and he wanted to make the sacrifice on this property. <clears throat> and, um, and he offered to buy uh, the properties, uh, and the owner says, no, I'll just give it to you. And the king said to Aruna, he says, no, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built there an altar to the Lord and offered burnt offerings and a peace offering. So the Lord responded to the plea for the land and the plague was averted from Israel. So here we see the heart of David, a man after God's own heart, right? Um, the, the one who, who authored many or most of the Psalms, which is a, the, the worship book of, of the Bible. <clears throat> and we see, we get a peek into his heart. We see what, uh, what motivated his heart. Uh, and 
a very important part of it is that I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord that cost me nothing. He understood something about worship. All right? He understood something about worship. David was, was, was motivated by a conviction that worship must be substantial. It must cost something in order for it to be really worship. All right? And when we worship the Lord, but separate what we worship from everything that has monetary value in our lives, we're diminishing the place of God in our life. Did you hear that? When we worship the Lord, but separate that worship from everything that has monetary value in our lives, what we're actually doing is diminishing the place of God in our life. And so what's happened for most people is they, have, they live a, a, a divided life, a dichotomy, a, a double-mindedness is what the Bible calls it. But <laughs> trying not to be too harsh here. But they separate their lives and say, oh, there's all the things they deal with money and they have all their budget and all the stuff they buy and their house payment and their car payment and all the stuff they want. And then they have this other aspect of their life, which is, oh, I go to church, I read the Bible, I'm seeking God, and, and, and maybe, you know, I'll give a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, and somehow it's, it, there's a, generally a really big divide between the monetary aspect of their life. And actually, many people spend a lot more time and concern about that aspect of their life than about their relationship with God. All right? I'm trying to say, listen, we can't separate it. That has to be brought together. And what this does is actually makes everything you do in the area of money, whether it be how you earn money, how you spend money, how you invest money, all of that, it becomes holy. All right? It, it actually sanctifies that part of it. And, that, and then that also, you, it enables you to understand how it's connected to your relationship with God and that you worship with your finances, but also you take your worship, your reverence of God into the workplace, into the marketplace, into everywhere that you use finances. You, you, it becomes part of your worship. Worship should include um, uh, the expression of God's worth in our lives, and it should be demonstrated in the offerings that we give to God. And so the, the, the weekly offering donating to other uh, ministries and missions, giving to alms, all of that becomes uh, an, an expression of worship uh, as we live united in Christ, bringing together our bodies, bringing together our hearts, bringing together our finances. All of it becomes one. Now, none of this means that we're earning anything from God. When you give to God, it doesn't earn you uh, uh, you know, it does, you don't get extra credit. <laughs> and even David expresses this in another place in the Old Testament in First Chronicles 29.13. I'm read this one out of the ESV. It says, uh, he's expressing his, he, they'd done an offering, they gathered together um, the resources needed to build the temple, and there was just an abundance of it. And so this is David's prayer at the end of that. It says, we thank you. So he's expressing that gratitude that's uh, 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 in his heart to God. He says, We thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. He goes on, But who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly? For all things come from you, and of your own 
have we given you? You know, it's an acknowledgement. Again, it's the acknowledgement that ultimately everything comes from you, from God. Everything you have comes from God. Yes, you work, but you can only work because you exist. <laughs> and you're healthy enough to work, and God has blessed you and given you an opportunity. And so there's an understanding that we're totally dependent on the provision of, of, of God Almighty for everything. It says, For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are, um, for we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name comes from your hand, and all this is all your own. I know, my God, that you test the heart and have pleasure in uprightness. In the uprightness of my heart, I have freely offered all these things, and now I have seen your people who are present here offering freely and joyously uh, to you. And so we have an expression and this, was, this, this offering was in addition to the tithes and all the other. This was a free will offering for building up God's house. And they brought in such uh, a proportion that they, they were able to build the temple. Actually, Solomon, his son, ended up building it. But David expresses this gratitude, but also expresses the truth that it's all God's. So we need to also understand this truth. You know, God, when God... Uh, uh, says that we are to tithe and give 10% to the church for the building of this house, it's not like he gets 10% uh, of our income. No. He allows us to steward the other 90% of his income, of his gift. You really have to have that mindset that you're a manager of God's resources and he, he will actually account, uh, call you into account for how you've managed all those resources. So learning how to do that with wisdom and good stewardship, learning how to do it faithfully, learning how to worship God with your money, all of this is part of living a life that's filled with thanksgiving, like David uh, 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 demonstrated, as well as generosity. And one thing I've mentioned throughout the uh, 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 previous few weeks, and we're going to do that right now, is that um, when we speak of giving to the church, and um, the, the, the goal of 100% participation, some people uh, in the church have been really faithful. Many people in this congregation give far and above uh, 10%. Uh, many people are, are faithful tithers, but many people have, have not been doing that. Uh, and maybe it's because of ignorance, you just didn't know, or maybe you, you believe that you can't. You know, it, it often is uh, a real step of faith to, to transition your life, to give faithfully to the house of God. Uh, sometimes you need to change your lifestyle. You need help getting a budget in place uh, and, and, and uh, uh, teaching and, and, and maybe some advice and how to, how to make changes the way that you manage your money. Um, but there's often conviction or awful, often guilt or shame based on uh, a history of not giving the full tithe or not, not giving anything. Um, and I, I shared, you know, there's a good proportion um, of this congregation that's part of the congregation that gives little or nothing. And, and this series is meant to challenge that because we need 100% participation. Just like we need everybody to participate and, and be active, we need everybody to be intimate and develop relationships. We need everyone for your sake as well as for the church in order for each person to, to fully um, 
enjoy and uh, get the benefits of fellowship, you need to participate in all three ways, as well as we need your, your participation in all three ways. Does that make sense? Yes. And so we just want to pray a prayer. And you know, I'm not going to make the people who haven't tithed stand up. <laughs> I could make all the other people stand up. No. <laughs> as I said before, I don't look at individual giving statements. That information is available. Sometimes I, have to, I pull it up for a particular uh, needs, but I just, I'm, I'm glad I have, we have administrators that do that. But you know before God, if you've been faithful in the tithes and offerings, if you've been faithful in giving to the poor, if you've been faithful in all the different ways uh, and hearing God's voice. And, and, but I want to pray a prayer of, of freedom. Another issue that uh, uh, someone brought up to me over the course of this series is that, you know, some people have been burned by church. And you know what? That's part of being part of a church. You know, if you want to find a church that you will not have any, uh, you know, any potential of, of being hurt, then forget it. <laughs> you know, if you're looking for a perfect church, if you find one, don't join it, because <laughs> then it won't be perfect anymore. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so. But there's truth. Some people have been uh, disappointed or let down or actually taken advantage of. And there's a lot of preachers that preach prosperity gospel and they talk about money all the time. If you've been here, you know this is the first series I've ever done on, on finances. I actually haven't taught about it often enough. But some people may hold a grudge. Um, and maybe you need to be forgiven, but maybe you need to forgive uh, church leaders in the past that have let you down. Um, or, or even... Maybe you've been faithful and still had difficulties and economic difficulties, and maybe you've even blamed God. You need to, to, to uh, repent of that in your heart and understand that it's, it's not a, a magic formula. It's obedience. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, so um, <clears throat> why don't you just close your eyes, and let's just go before God in prayer. And, and just, um, just whatever the issue is in your heart, I want you to have an encounter with God right now. I'm going to lead a prayer, but it's for, let's say, take a minute. And just listen to God concerning your finances. Uh, and, and if you're a faithful giver, maybe you're, you're an example of giving, you can still listen to God. And, and maybe He's just going to affirm that or challenge you in the new area. If you've never given, listen to God to receive faith to step into this, this new dimension of living a Christian life. If you struggle financially, just open your heart. If there's areas of forgiveness or repentance, just open your heart. I'm just take, I'm, we're going to be silent for a minute so that you can hear from God. Thank you, Father. I'm going to lead in a prayer, but I just want you to 
to respond or maybe you can just have your own private prayer time and ignore me feel free to do that father i thank you that you've you've shown us grace and mercy and called us into a life of worship father i thank you that you've given us the opportunity like the wise men to come and worship and in all the ways all the biblical ways that you command and, and demonstrate father i ask uh for forgiveness for all of us for not living in a way that demonstrates your worthiness when it comes to finances and material uh, goods that we worship materialism more than we worship you at times or at times our hearts and our minds have been divided and separated part of our life and said oh that's just the world that's money that's work as though you weren't lord of that lord i ask for your forgiveness and i pray that you would wash and cleanse each and every one of us from that we repent in jesus's name of all covetousness uh, of all uh, failure to give according to you and according to your word according to what you require, according to, to, to use the gift of money to further your kingdom instead of using it just to satisfy our needs and desires. Lord, please forgive us. And Lord, we just uh, also ask uh, for forgiveness, for judging others in the area of finances. Lord, we forgive those who have who've hurt us, disappointed us in the area of finances. Father, we, forg- we ask forgiveness for any um, inappropriate use of finances. If we've, uh, if we've violated any laws or any, any integrity in our finances, Lord, we just ask for forgiveness. Just repeat after me. Say, Father, please forgive me uh, of all sins concerning finances. And just remove all curses because of what Jesus did on the cross. And I forgive all those who have uh, hurt me in the area of finances. I renounce discouragement and hopelessness in the area of finances. And I believe your promise that you will open up the windows of heaven for me, my family, and all those I influence. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I just, you know... uh, the Bible says if we confess our sins, uh, they're forgiven. And another place says if you release uh, whatever is released on earth, we will be released in the heavens. He's talking to his disciples. And so I just, I just uh, speak over you a releasing of any sin. If there's anyone here that's, 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 that's sinned in this area of not giving faithfully, uh, because if you've confessed uh, repentance of that, 
because of faith in the Lord Jesus. I just want to declare that those sins are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Okay, you can walk free from the shame and the guilt of that. Right? And that forgiveness can empower you to live a righteous life. And the promise that God wants you to hear is that if you do bring in all the tithes into the storehouse and the offerings, listen, there will be food in my house. He says, test me in this. This is in Malachi. He says, test me in this, uh, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. I will rebuke the devourer for your sake so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. God's desire is that you have an abundance, an abundance, an overflow, so that you can influence others. Uh, and that's the promise, that's the promise we cling to in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, Bill has some announcements.